0: Greetings, Princeps. Welcome to the second episode of the God Machine Cast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus Wargame produced by Games Workshop. This is the second ever podcast I have ever made, so I hope this isn't too horrible. I'm still trying to find my feet, so I hope you uh, can bear with the bad editing in places. I've done my best to fix stuff and re-recorded sections that were terrible. Anyway, let's get on with the show. In this show, I cover recent news and questions that i have been asked by the community. I then spend the rest of the show focused on a conversation about manapults, the basic building blocks of the game. I was intending to spend some time discussing how to use them as narrative devices, but following some feedback and realizing I have a lot of basic ground to cover, I will be focusing on the manacles primarily from a gaming perspective. This is a longer episode than I initially planned, and you'll probably notice a slight change in styles throughout the main section of the show. This week work was a lot busier than I was expecting, and much of my normal recording time was taken by me picking up extra shifts. In place of recording it in one hit, I think I did it in like three or four little blocks. Before all that, podcast news. I have started a Facebook page. To find the Facebook page, simply type God Machine Cast into Facebook. On this page, I hope to present up-to-date news with the podcast and provide a place for me to post photos to accompany the show. With this... The Facebook page will allow people to message me via the Facebook Messenger to give me feedback and questions for the show. In addition to that, I would like to request that everyone can share this podcast with their friends who also play Titanicus. On that note, I'm available on these listening platforms. Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Reviews on this platform will be great. Any positive review will help others find this show, so please... Go and leave some positive reviews. If you have negative reviews, please forward them to me directly and I will see what I can do about fixing the problem. In the next few weeks, I'm hoping that the distribution through Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Overcast and Stitcher will become available. If you use a podcast platform that I haven't referenced, please contact me again and I will see about what I can do to get my podcast onto that platform. Most of all, shares, likes and people talking about this podcast to their friends will go a long way to make this podcast a success and allow this community to grow and further develop at this time it's the best way anyone can support this podcast i hope eventually to have more time for distribution but right now i need to concentrate on creating content and learning how to edit properly Now it's time for the news. This last week, there's been a fair bit of news about Titanics from Games Workshop, and i to quickly review it as best as I can. Starting last Tuesday, the new Engine Kill article dropped on the Warhammer community site. This article included previews of the new weapons for the uh, um, Warhound, and they look pretty good. The article goes over in length about their rules, and it's all pretty fun. But other than pictures of the models, there was nothing really new within the content. Later in the day, the writer of the Engine Kill article was on the Twitch feed, discussing the roadmap for these articles in the other specialist games. He stated that the plan is for a monthly article similar to the Road of Thaumas for the Horus Heresy. Each article will include a preview of something new and unreleased. And just because it is being previewed does not mean it is up for release anytime soon. The Twitch feed then once again talked through all the weapons and looked at the art, and had an interesting conversation about how the uh, um, paint studio probably made the art for the Lejordax. Ordex. It was at this point on the Twitch stream that they talked about the Twitch stream's plans for another Adeptus Titanicus campaign at some point this summer. I very much get the sense from watching the Twitch stream that the uh, Adeptus Titanicus game is one of the favourites of those in the Warhammer community. This Titanicus does have a habit of just being a conversation between friends, and it goes on quite a bit, more longer than other segments. But again, the actual content in the Twitch stream was barely limited, and basically a repeat of what was in the Warhammer community article. So then Friday occurs, and the big news of the week hits. The new FAQ. I'm dedicating next week's episode to this FAQ and talking through each of the rules changes and how I think it affects the game so please if you have questions or comments about the FAQ changes please get them into me before midweek though I'll probably still be recording it on Monday morning it's typically how it goes anyway the big change that's got everyone talking is the changes to the Acastas we all knew it was coming I mean the Acastas had been dominating the tables last year since it was released the changes focused on limiting the numbers that could be on the table and that banner can only consist of now one or two acasters. They can only take one banner per lance or per manapult in an army. The acasters cannot be a part of a lance in a nice household force and basically we doubled its points. Its actual firepower has remained untouched. The community reaction to this has been split as expected. Uh, some people would have rather seen the weapons become weaker and the points stay where they were so we could see more of them on the table. But I get the feeling the majority are happy with these changes. And finally in Games Workshop news, Warhammer World announced they are conducting a second Titanicus event called the Crusade of Iron, which will be happening on June the 13th and 14th. At the time of recording, it is being reported that this event has already sold out. This does not surprise me. I have a feeling that many of the people at Nottingham itself are going to be there, and they probably brought tickets themselves as soon as it came available. I hope the continued popularity of such events will continue to propel them to do more and more and pay for some more scenery. I'm rather hoping this makes the Citadel try and do something over in the States. I'm only a three-hour drive in the Citadel so I'd be there in a heartbeat. And finally I want to introduce a section of this show that's going to be talking about upcoming events around the world. If you have a Titanicus event and want to advertise it on this podcast please email and contact me on through the Facebook. I know many people post to Facebook about their events. But this way, everyone will have a chance to hear it and it may not have been lost in the clutter of the algorithm. It was the final event in a series of combined Titanicas and Horus heresy events telling a story. I hope into future episodes to talk more about what they're doing down there as it seems pretty exciting. Right about now, I'm just seeing the Facebook post claiming that it was a pretty big success. and I just wanted to say that I wish I'd been able to make it out there. Very much hoping that the next event they run, I'll be able to get down there for the day. But I still think that's a few months away. But I'll Probably speak about that some more as it starts getting closer, because I'll uh, be pushing myself to get Titans completed for it. Okay, that about wraps up uh, the news and uh, community events. Um, yeah, till next week. And now it's time for community news. Graham Hawkins contacted me through Facebook and asked me a question. It's quite a large question, so I'll get to answering as best I can. He asks I've got both the Grandmaster and New Starter Box set. Reavers and Warhounds to make Axiom Maniples. I'd like to hear your opinions on weapon loadouts for each Titan class before I finish building the models. He says he's not tried magnetizing the smaller Titans yet. In an additional comment, he tells me he's planning on doing two legions, one loyal and one traitor. This question could be an episode in itself, or even a series. To be honest, Graham, I'd probably offer off of the uh, Full Strides podcast coverage of each Titan style as a good way to start getting a primer on that. I'm going to try and give a quick summary of what I would take for each Titan. Okay. For the Warhound, I'd probably recommend Vulcan Mega Bolters. I'd probably do a Vulcan Mega Bolter on one arm, and a Plasma Blastgun on the other arm. They are arguably the best two weapons the Warhounds can get. The Mega Bolter is great for stripping shields, and the Plasma Blastgun can strip shields fairly well, but also can lay some serious hurt on an enemy Titan. And taking one of each is pretty much agreed to be the standard best build you can do on a Warhound. That said, I have a soft spot for the Turbo Laser Destroyer. I don't like running them with additional weapons, but a pair of them on the same Titan can turn a Warhound into a pretty effective sniper. The Warhound has the speed and the turns to allow it to move around to keep that Turbo Laser Destroyer on the flanks of enemy Titans. I would avoid the Inferno Gun. As fun as it sounds, it's just not that great in the game at the moment, unless you're taking a Legio that specializes in it. And with an Axium Maniple where you're only running the two, I wouldn't think there is a great place for it. I would advise an Anaxia Maniple, to run one with dual turbo laser destroyers and another with a vulcan mega bolter and plasma blast gun. I think you'll find you'd have great utility using both of them. Both titans have an individual different role, but they both support each other fairly well. Ideal world the warhound with the vulcan mega closes, strips shields with the vulcan mega bolter, does the first round of damage with the plasma blast gun, allowing the turbo laser destroyer warhound to target fire and destroy that titan. Next up is the reaver. Eh, it's a bit more complicated, there are a lot more options for good builds. I'm not going to worry about the Carpe's weaponry, as the friction fittings of the model allows you to switch these out fairly easily, so you don't need to worry too much about which ones you arm them with. i just build and assemble and paint them all. Now, as far as arm weapons go, the best weapon, hands down, is the Melter Cannon. And I definitely would run one of the two Reavers in any Axiom to be armed with the Melter Cannon. The other arm on the Melter Cannon Titan probably should be a Gatling Blaster or Laser Blaster. Both of these have the ability to strip shields, or target a location that's been hit by the Melter Cannon to try and finish a Titan off. I would stay away from a Volcano Cannon in an Axiom Maniple. It doesn't really have a place. The Warlord is a much better platform for that sort of weapon. Another solid build is to run a Chain Fist or a Power Fist along with a Laser Blaster or Gatling Blaster. My first two Reavers were a Chain Fist and Gatling Blaster and then a Laser Blaster and Melter Cannon build. I found these two complement each other pretty well. The Laser Blaster and Melter Reaver was able to put a lot of engine kills out, and the Chain Fist and Gatling Blaster used to get up into people's faces and really lay some hurt. The Gatling Blaster is a surprisingly good weapon to combo with the Chain Fist. It gets plus one to hit at short range, so it doesn't suffer from the negative of switching to weapon skill. And when targeting at a location in the that has already been hit by the chain fist is pretty good at finishing off titans. Now as I mentioned to you in the uh, actual chat we had, I would avoid glowing arms onto the wall or titan. Even though I'm not a huge advocate of magnetization, the wall or titan kit is just crying out for it. There are too many weapon options and you just want to be able to change the weapons up. I hope that helps some, at least from a thousand foot view. I know the actual weapon choice may be able to be fine-tuned by once you know what legions you're doing. Several EGOs get bonuses on certain types of weapons, and if you decide to go for one of those, I would lay into using those upgrades where you can, because it really will help. If you're just getting into the game, it may be useful just to play a few games with no weapons attached to the arms of the titans, just so you can get a feel for what weapons you like. Enjoyment of the game should always come before what is mathematically superior. Well, I hope that helps. Here was the only real question I got in this week, which is fine. I did get a few other emails and comments giving me support for what I've been doing, and one that even has dictated how exactly I'm going to discuss the maniples in this episode. An individual on the Discord channel wanted me to uh, uh, talk more about what my favourite maniples were, so I included that in the main main episode part. Please continue to send me emails or message me through the Facebook page, uh, and I can further answer questions in future episodes. Thank you. Well, I guess it's about time for me to quickly go over what I've been doing in the hobby this week. The answer is not much. As I mentioned in the opening of the show, work has been pretty crazy this week. Someone left my job, and suddenly I've had to pick up a lot of spare shifts. And the main topic of this podcast grew a little larger than I was originally planning. That said, I pulled four buildings out of my uh, city box and started painting them. I was able to complete the grayscale process on all four buildings. And then on one of the larger ones, I was able to go through and do all the metallics, the windows, and get the roofs finished. I'm going to finish applying some washes and picking out a few more of the little details, but I should be able to finish that single building here by the end of the weekend before this podcast is released. But that depends on work. I have a feeling I won't get around to getting it done. But that's fine. These things happen, and I need to take my time and enjoy painting these buildings. My plan for this upcoming week is to go back to these models, finish the three remaining buildings, and return to the Warlord Tide from the week before, just to double check that I didn't miss anything and finish any missing parts. If a miracle happens and I'm able to finish them all, I'll probably pick up one of the Reavers and start work on trying to get it finished. Probably the Dual Volcano Cannon Reaver, as its arms have had to be separated from the main model and getting it fixed will allow me to get it back on the table. Basic strategy in Titanicus. This is going to be an occasional segment of the show, where I talk for a moment on some of the tactical truths of the game. The aim with this segment is to break the discussion of this idea away from other conversations. When in a show, I feel like I'm going to be discussing an idea that requires an understanding of what I consider a core strategic concept, I will try and include one of these primers to ensure that everyone listening understands the vernacular I'm using. In this episode... I want to talk about what I refer to as the Activation Catch 22. It is present in all alternate Activation Wargaming and can be simply described with this paradox. In most situations you want to move your units last and fire them before your opponent does. Or to put it another way, the Titan that lines its shots up last and fires first is in the best position to do the most damage in a turn. If you line up a shot with a titan on a titan that has yet to activate, the chances are, when it comes to activate that titan in the shooting phase, that titan will not have a target. And equally, the last titan to activate in the shooting phase has had the highest chance of being shot to a point where it is no longer able to return fire. Now, orders disrupt this paradox. Charging and first fire mean that you're always wanting to attack, so activating a titan first becomes always a priority, and other orders that mean you skip a phase completely changed this dynamic. But despite this, there are many ways you can combine activations or spread activations out throughout a turn. And the way these abilities interact with this activation paradox is key to understanding their use and and strategic benefit, or even liability. In future episodes, I may go into this problem in more depth, but for now, just stating that this is a thing will do for the discussions later in this show. And welcome to the primary section of the show. This section of the show is referred to as Managing manipoles is where the title of the episode comes from. I'm going to briefly review every manipul in this game. I'm going to go over the basics of the manipul, and then I'm going to describe my thoughts on the manipul. Each manipul is separated by a small little bit of music, so you can tell when one manipul starts and the other one begins. This is a very brief overview, but I was asked what my favourite manipul was, and I felt that I couldn't answer this question without reviewing them all. This will be a touchstone of future episodes, where I will come back to this episode and refer to maniples as I dig deeper into other topics of discussion. The first maniple we'll be looking at today is the Axiom Battleline Maniple. The description of the maniple follows. The Axiom Maniple is one of the most sacred and considered maniple configurations. It is both numerologically and strategically balanced, capable of dealing with almost any threat. Its mandatory components are a Warlord Battle Titan, one Reaver battle titan and one warhound scout titan. Optional components include one reaver battle titan and one warhound scout titan. The Maniple trait is the might of the Omnisire. If you fail a command check when an order is issued in the strategy phase, orders can still be issued to the rest of the Maniple. Command checks must be made for each. This simply put is the most forgiving Maniple in the game, although it does not guarantee that a Titan will get orders. It allows you to do orders in any order. It does not matter if you fail, you can always continue to roll for the other titans. Because of this, and the actual balance of the components, I rate this as a good maniple. And it's probably one of the best maniples to start with when you're first learning the game. It is quick and easy to use. It is forgiving of early tactical mistakes. The maniple trait isn't as good as others. It is sufficient to get you through most games. The next maniple I will discuss is the Myrmidon Battleline Maniple from the Core Book. The description for this reads, there are very few enemies who can hope to stand against the might of the Movedon Manipal. Comprising of the mightiest battle titans, it boasts sufficient firepower to damage even a cruiser in low orbit. The half-manipal consists of two Warlord Titans and a Reaver, with expanding to the full Manipal being an additional Warlord and Reaver. The trait you gain for this Manipal is called Overwhelming Firepower. When issuing a first fire or split fire order from titans from this Maniple, the command check will always succeed in a roll of 2+, plus, regardless of modifiers. I consider this Maniple to be fairly mediocre, to be honest. The ability to pass the checks on a 2+, plus is only a 10% improvement for the Warlord, and a 20% improvement for the Reaver. And the amount of abilities that apply negatives to command checks are fairly low. Now, the ability to take a legal battle line force with three warlord titans and two reavers cannot be discounted. But these days there are other maniples that get you close. And to be honest, you probably can get away with taking a different, cheaper maniple and then having an additional warlord attached. said, I'm sure there will be in the future reasons to take a 2 plus without modification test. As the rules develop and there becomes more modifiers to order checks, I can see this Maniple gaining additional power. But right now, where the game currently stands, I think it'd be wise to look towards other Maniples in its place. Finally, from the core book, the last Maniple is the Venator Light Maniple. The description is the following. Where other Maniples favour firepower and brute strength to overcome the foe, The Venator Maniple puts emphasis on speed and an opportunistic attack. This Maniple has the mandatory requirements of one Reaver Battle Titan and two Warhound Scouts, with an optional two Warhound Scouts. The Maniple trait for this one is an opportunistic strike. If an enemy unit shields collapse by an attack made by a Warhound Titan from this Maniple, the Reaver Titan in this Maniple can immediately attack against... It with one of its weapons, following the combat sequences described normally. This means the Reaver can potentially attack several times in the same phase, as well as attacking normally when it is activated. However, if the Reaver is prevented from attacking in the combat phase, it cannot make these bonus attacks. This maniple has serious trouble with activations. It is very easy to turn this into a two activation maniple, with all the Warhounds in one and the Reaver in the second. As described in the earlier segment, This can be a significant disadvantage in the movement phase. That said, the actual Maniple trait is incredible. With the correct setup, a Reaver Titan can do some serious work shooting down the recently popped Titans. But because of the low activation score for this Maniple, I can only rate this as a good Maniple. It is about the same as an Axiom. Though a skilled player can use it to produce great things. That said, one of the best advantages of this manipul is that it is fairly cheap to take. You can easily run this and another manipul in the same list, and with the correct support, the issues with activations can be negated. With the arrival of the shock lance as a weapon for the warhound, it suddenly becomes possible to easily pop shields with a, uh, with a warhound, and I could easily imagine one of these doing some serious work. And by taking advantage of the Legio trait that would allow you to switch out a Titan, many possibilities become possible with this Maniple. Next up is the Regia Battleline Maniple. Its description is the following. Formations utilising a paired warlord Titans are commonplace in many strategies of the Legio titanica. The Regia Battleline Maniple is perhaps the oldest of these, based upon the ancient concept of a king and queen and their court. The mandatory components of this Maniple are two Warlord Titans and one Warhound, with an optional of two additional Warhounds. The Maniple trait is referred to as the Royal Court. The two Warlord Titans within this Maniple represent the King and Queen, whose role is to support each other in battle. While the King and Queen are within 12 of each other, if one successfully gains an Order, the other may gain the same Order without the need to pass a Command Check. The Warhounds are the Courtiers, whose role it is to shield the King and Queen. The Courtiers can merge their Void Shields with the King and Queen as if they were part of the same Maniple. In addition, courtiers may mer- merge the void shields with either of the king or the queen while within three inches of them, rather than while in base contact. As I stated in my last episode, I don't rate this mana pool that highly. Although on paper it provides a great basis for some durable titans, the ability to mer- merge void shields between the uh, courtiers and the king and the queen provide a really solid fortress. It becomes rather easy to destroy these titans once their shields come down. This formation does force you to try and play in a close proximity to one another. Now, as anyone who's played Titanic for any length of time knows, two titans standing next to each other when one dies is a risky proposition for the nearby titan. This maniple encourages you to keep all your titans in a very close proximity. Should one of these warlords go up in a spectacular fashion, suddenly you're losing a lot more than just a single titan with one engine kill. Additionally, by taking three warhounds, you are probably encouraged to run them all as a single unit. And while a unit of three Warhounds is good, you are looking at a three activation list, as it is pretty expensive by running the two Warlord Titans. Now, in the right conditions, with the right additional supporting units, this can be the fundamental block of a pretty scary list. But by itself, it is a fairly weak formation. And worse, when combined with some Legios that have better repair rolls, it can be immensely frustrating for everyone involved as initially it will take a long time to bring the void shields down. It becomes equally frustrating for the player playing the regia once their void shields go down, and suddenly they start losing a lot of titans very quickly. The next maniple for discussion is the Corsair Battleline Maniple. Its description reads, The Corsair Battleline Maniple are built around a Raider in Doctrine. Its titans are chosen for both their speed, firepower, and the versatility of the Reavers lend themselves to this role. Swift enough to extract itself from danger, but tough enough to win a protracted battle. The mandatory components of this Maniple are three Reaver Titans, with an additional two Reavers to bring it to full strength. Its Maniple trait is fighting with Rural. This ability allows them to move in any direction at normal speed, but cannot use a boosted speed when moving outside the front arc. It's an immensely powerful ability, and I actually think the Corsair Battle Maniple is the best Maniple in the game. Although the rules aren't flashy, the ability to move sideways and reposition easily cannot be understated it becomes possible to pull off some t- truly impressive maneuvering you can sidestep six inches backwards and then make a small pivot and then push forward push your reactors to push an extra three inches to a different direction this gives the reaver more maneuverability than a warhound well put together list can easily outmaneuver anything else on the table and the power of this ability can o- can be increased additionally with the Legios that allowed you to swap Titans out. As key in the description of this Battleline Maniple is that it says Titans in the Maniple, not Reaver Titans. The next Maniple is the Genissary Battle Battleline Maniple. Its description is the following During the Great Crusade, Titans were often supported by a large number of knights and Questorus banners. Genissary battle Battleline Maniples were de- developed to fill this role, bringing a mix of war engines and crews skilled at fighting alongside household units. The mandatory components of this Maniple are one Reaver Titan and two Warhounds, with the additional components of an additional Warhound and an additional Reaver. Its Maniple trait is Close Support. In essence, when you activate a Titan in the movement phase, you may choose to also activate a banner within 6 inches of a Titan. This additional activation only occurs in the movement phase. And that is the shortcoming of this Maniple. The ability to dual activate units would be really useful in the shooting phase. As discussed earlier, such Dual activation in the movement phase is a liability and only adds to a small amount of bonus if you're using specific orders like first fire or charge. Because of this, I actually think the Janissary Battleline Maniple is the worst maniple in the game. Now, there can be an argument to use this maniple alongside some Acastus Knight banners, but with the recent nerfs to the Acastus, I'm not sure if that will get much play. As by the time you've filled out this maniple and the Acastus, you will be looking at a not having enough points to fill in any additional abilities. It should be noted that due to how the manipul trait is worded, it is possible to have the whole pack of Warhounds simultaneously activate and activate three additional banners in that first turn. So you could have six charging units at the top of the movement phase. Getting that lined up and getting everything working is the real crux of the problem, and the trade-off is barely having any activations to outmaneuver your opponent. Due to the lack of durability of anything on the table, you really need to be able to manoeuvre with this list. The final Maniple in Titan Death is the Lupercal Light Maniple. Its description is the following. It is unclear if the Lupercal Light Maniple existed before the Horus took command of the Great Crusade and its Titan legions. However, its effectiveness was that even after Horus' betrayal to the Emperor, both sides continued to use it extensively in battle. Its mandatory component are three Warhound Titans and its optional component, an additional two Warhound Titans. Its Maniple trait is... Hunting Pack. Working closely together, the Warhound Titans can surround and pick off foes many times their size. At the beginning of each round, any or all of the Warhounds within the Maniple may be formed into a squadron with other members of their Maniple. These squadrons last until the end of the round. In addition, when making a coordinated strike, Warhounds in this Maniple at plus two to any rolls they make rather than plus one. This is a good and very strong menopole. Not only does it make all the Titans more effective when combined, it allows flexibility to to allow the player to control the number of activations they have. In the early stages of the game, this unit can be great to allow you to have multiple activations, and near the end you can decrease the number of activations, allowing you to target people more effectively in the shooting phase. Although theoretically this can be a single activation unit, you- unit, um, the power and the ability to swing between one to five cannot be understated. And for many of the Legios that specialize in the Warhound Titan, this Maniple becomes an extra tool in their toolbox. The next Maniple I'm looking at is the Domus Force Maniple. This is the Maniple that was found in the February 2019 White Dwarf. Its description reads, many Legios with vassal houses Create special formations within their battle groups by merging knight banners and titan maniples. Known as the Dominus Battleforce Maniple, it allows vassal knights to offer close support to titans while often shielding them with their hulls and incoming fire. The mandatory components of this maniple are one warlord titan, two reaver battle titans, and one unit of Questrus or Serastus knights. There are two traits for this maniple. I'm gonna summarize them as the actual text is fairly long. The first maniple trait is called Orspex Bafflers. Basically, if a titan in this maniple is targeted by an attack from a weapon that can also see the same uh, knight banner from this maniple, and the knight banner is within six inches of the titan, and the shot does not come from within two inches of the titan, that attack suffers an additional minus one to hit. Though the knight banner does not get any benefit of cover throughout the entire game. Additionally, the second rule is called Noble Sacrifice. Basically, should a hit actually make it through, the Noble Sacrifice special rule means you may move the hit to a knight. Firestorm weapons, ignore this rule. I actually really like this Maniple, I really like this Maniple, for many reasons. Initially the Warlord and two Reavers are actually a pretty good basis for any battle group, and taking a screening unit of knights is a good way to add survivability to these already durable Titans. I see little use in using the Sorestus knight in this Maniple, but taking cheap Quistorus knights just to add that extra bit of protection for the Warlord is probably a good thing. I wouldn't say this is a great formation, but it's up there with the Axiom Maniple as a good, solid Maniple. I also want to add, this is everything the Janissary Maniple wishes it was. The actual effects are unique, they add something to the game, and gives you a defined advantage that is easy to use. I really wish this had been the Janissary Maniple, and the Janissary Maniple was the one found in the White Dwarf, as due to its availability, I don't expect to see many people using it. If you haven't got the White Dwarf, I recommend trying to track it down. It is useful to have in a t- complete collection. I do believe there are ways to get this digitally still, though I need to double check. Moving to the Doom of Maltek book, the next Maniple is the Fortis Battleite manipul. The description of this Maniple is the following. Titans are mobile fortresses, as formidable as to bring down any redoubt of steel and stone. The Fortis Battle Maniple was created as a defensive formation allowing Titans to resist assaults from numerically superior foes or the mass firepower of enemy war engines. The mandatory components for this Maniple are one Warlord Titan and two Reavers, with the optional component of an additional Warlord and additional Reaver. Its Maniple trait is Titanic Fortress. Providing two Titans in this Maniple are in base contact and neither have moved, Titans ignore all armor modifiers as a result of structural damage or flank and rear attacks. In addition, the mana members may merge their void shields. This is a very powerful formation. Unlike the regia, which forces you to castle everything in one group, this mana can work as two separate detachments. The like ability you to resist additional armor modifiers and structural damage, and flank and rear is really, really useful. As even once you are through the void shields of the titan, it gets no easier to destroy a titan with progressive shooting at it. This will disrupt many of your opponent's plans, there's generally an opponent will try and focus fire on a titan. First removing shields with shield strippers and then using high-strength weapons to open a location up before finishing it off with snipers. First, you're going to need additional shield strippers to bring down the merged void shields of titans, and then you have to rely solely on the high-strength weaponry to break through the armoured shells. That gatling blaster that you were hoping to get that plus two or plus three on to able to penetrate the body section is not going to cut it. As you may have guessed, I rate this as one of the better maniples in the game. It is in my top three. The next maniple to be looked at is the Ferox Light Maniple. The description of this maniple is the following The description is the following The College Titanicus' tactical doctrine teaches that the lighter titans must either support larger titans or mass their powers from the safety of cover. The Ferox Light Maniple subscribes to a different tactical school of thought striding in close for a quick and destructive kills. The mandatory component of this Maniple is one Reaver and two Warhounds. The additional components being another Reaver and another Warhound. The Maniple trait is Knife Fighters. When a Titan is within a target scale, they add one for armor rolls for any attacks to damage. Additionally, Titans in this Maniple may choose whether to use their Weapon Skill or Ballistic Skill when in two inches of an enemy. When combined with Close Combat Titans, this Maniple is all about getting in there and causing a lot of damage. Additionally, the psychological element of this Maniple is pretty high. The idea of all these titans running forward and getting really in close with you is surprising to many players. I expect in time its use will diminish, but right now it's kind of still kind of fun to play. The remaining Maniples are all from the Shadow and Iron supplement. The first manipul in this book is the Canis Light Maniple. I'll summarise this at greater length when I cover the Legion Wardax. The Canis Light manipul is only to be used by Legion Wardax. It is composed of between three to five warhounds and allows warhounds to deploy an ambush. It is really kind of fun, but again, it's hyper-specialised by being used with the Legio Wardax, and needs to be considered with the full abilities of their rules. So I'll look at that in the future. Despite that, I will say I rate this as a very good manipul. Um, this manipul will be very scary with a few of the other Legio traits that are available. So I'm pretty glad that it's limited to Legio Wardax. And that brings us to the Arcus Battleline manipul. The description follows, a rarely observed Maniple, the Arcus Battleline Maniple, were used against mobile enemy fortresses relying on fast scouts to encircle the foe with a direct to, and direct the greater firepower of the Warbringer Nemesis Titan. This Maniple consists of a Nemesis Warbringer Titan and two to four Warhound Titans. Its Maniple trait is Coordinated Relay, which allows the Nemesis Warbringer Titan to fire all its weapons in an indirect manner. In addition, the blast weapons from this type, the Nemesis will only scatter d6 rather than d10 inches. I was sure this Maniple were to have an FAQ attached to only allow the Carpe's weapon on the Nemesis to fire indirect. Turns out I was wrong, but we'll see what happens in the future. I think this Maniple is pretty good. It's fairly cheap if you just take it as a single Nemesis with the two Warhounds. And I could see running two, two of these Maniples at the same time to give the Nemesis's firepower, that extra oomph. It can suffer from a loss of activations if you start consolidating the Warhounds into packs, but there are some Legios that will make really good use of the Maniple. Legio Salaria jumps to mind as one that could make the Warhounds particularly annoying to fight against. Overall, as it stands at the moment, this is a pretty good Maniple. I wouldn't put it in the top three, but it's a very strong contender. Next up is the Rupture Battleline Maniple. His description follows. The Rupture battleline manipul were formed to break open the most hardy fortifications. Its faster element seizing every breach created by the Warbringers before a counteract could be organized. This manipul consists of two Warbringers and one Reaver with an optional of an additional two Reavers. Its manipul trait is called Artillery Bastion. Once per round, a Reaver Titan in this Maniple can declare power to locomotives without pushing their reactor. In addition, when an enemy suffers catastrophic damage as a result of the Warbringer Nemesis Titan in the manipul, each Reaver Titan in this Maniple can easily make a move as if it was the movement phase. Unless prevented to do so by some other outstanding rule. This is a very powerful Maniple. I rate this as perhaps one of the best in the game. Reavers want to get in close to the enemy. And this Maniple lets you do exactly that. The Nemesis brings enough firepower to quickly dispatch enemy Titans. Again allowing Reavers to move quicker up the table. Additionally, as the Reavers are moving as if it was the movement phase reaver with a charge order attached gets to charge again, which can le- lead to some brilliant double moving. Position Arriva right, it will be careening through the enemy's lines, making close combat attacks continually. Though it will be hard to pull off regularly, when it happens, it will look really good and quickly win you the game. Finally, the last Maniple we will cover is the Manantum Battle Eye Maniple. The description follows. The Manantom Battleline maniples rely on intricate battle plans dictated by the warlord's precepts, overseeing its subordinate warhounds into the perfect positions. The mandatory components are one warlord and two warhounds, with an additional two warhounds that can be added. The maniple trait is Packmaster. As long as the warhound titan from this maniple is on the battlefield, warhound titans of this maniple add 2 to the results of command checks when issuing orders. In addition, the Warhound Titans add plus one to hit for attacks made against units within 12 inches of the Warlord Titan. This is an easy Maniple to replace the Axiom with. It works in a very similar form, giving the additional command benefits, plus the sneaky plus one to hit on the Warhounds isn't to be overlooked. Additionally, any Legio that has abilities to make Warhounds better will make even better use of this Maniple. It can be used pretty cheaply. and supported by additional maniples. In future episodes, I will look at how I could make some lists using some of these maniples, but I get a feeling that a warlord and two warhounds would be a pretty cheap list to go against another cheap maniple to uh, c- complement them together. I feel this particular formation is ideal to attach a site item to, and I will go into further discussions of this when I cover site items in the future. So that about wraps up my overview of maniples, but I wanted to have some closing thoughts before I sign out for the day. By far my favourite titans are the Fortis, Ferox, Corsair. but I think the Rupture Maniple will quickly grow into a favourite as well. All these maniples allow you to do something that you generally cannot do by the standard rules, from ignoring flank bonuses or coming up with unique ways to move the Reaver Titans. And although other maniples may have flashier rules, I have to say my favourite of all these is the Corsair. Its bonus It's such a simple rule that you can easily remember it and you aren't going to suddenly forget the additional plus one to hit or something in the middle of the game. And due to the wording of the Aurora maniple, it can you can easily swap other titans out if your Legio allows it, which allows it some exciting combinations. That said, I think I like the Corsair because it's, it's similar to my play style. It's how I like to play many of my games. Getting close and outmaneuver. Now, as so for the worst Maniple, I think that has to go to the Janissary. It's very poorly thought out. If the Maniple allowed you to activate simultaneously in the shooting phase, I have a feeling this Maniple would be very, very powerful, but it doesn't. And the fact the Maniple does not contain an option for a heavier Titan means you're pushing for lighter Titans and there are much better light Titan Maniples than the Janissary. That said, I'd love to hear your feedback on my uh, reviews on this. Uh, Please email me or message me on Facebook if you have uh, different ideas. As always, more than happy to start a discussion on this sort of stuff. And I hope this long conversation going through all 14 maniples haven't been too boring for folks. But I hope it will work well as a primer as I build into more strategy into the future. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. If you have questions you wish to be included with the next episode, please email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com or message me through the Facebook page. God Engine Cast on Facebook. I'm aiming for next week's show to cover a detailed discussion of the new FAQ. It's quite a lengthy document, but I hope there's enough content there to get me through the 20 minutes I want to talk. But until next time, I wish you well and good fortune. The God Machine podcast is covered by the Creative Commons License Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0.